exciting, Jim. But not as we know it. This is big. It is 23 minutes past 1pm on Saturday the 12th of March 2022 and you are tuned in to the Bashcast. Coming up in this afternoon's Bashcast, Tom gets headbutted by a three-year-old and gets threatened by a guy in a polo shirt. Nathan joins us from Oddshawk to discuss the Oddshawk API feed for horse racing. That is available to everybody and anybody that wants it. Are multiples better than singles? What is the best multiple? And value betting first goal scorer on the exchange. All of that and more coming up in the Bashcast. So, sorry if I sound a little bit lispy for this episode. Is lispy a word? I had an accident earlier on in the week where... Actually, I had two accidents earlier on this week. Accident-prone week. Forgot about the first one. I'll come on to that. The second one, I got head-butted by my son, who's three. <laughs> I'm getting him changed, right? And I'm stood over him. I'm stood behind him and I'm stood over him. And I'm sort of shuffling his trousers on. And then I ask him to hop up so that we can we can do his t-shirt and his jumper. And because he's a three-year-old boy and he has all the energy of a nuclear explosion wrapped up into an earthquake, he just hops up with no notice of his surroundings and um and clocks me, just headbutts me with the back of his head straight on my lip. And um I reeled backwards. I've got a fat lip as a result of it. I've got to say, my reaction was po- possibly a little bit embarrassing if I was maybe a rugby player or a boxer. But at the time, uh, my only companions were a six-year-old girl and a three-year-old boy. I didn't have any adrenaline or fight or flight going through me. And so it took me by surprise. I just uh, to ran away from them in shame um, and mopped up the fat lip. And so uh, it's still here four days later and yeah I forgot about the first one I managed to go golfing on the weekend um we got through the golfing accident free and me and my two buddies decided there was enough time to get in a sneaky to get in a sneaky pint on the way home without um you know without the girls noticing that we'd extended the golf by half an hour at the end so we stop in the center of town I am driving um, my wife's um, company car, uh, which is an Audi, blah, blah. I don't know, an Audi, I know it's an Audi, an Audi A- A4, is that a thing, an A3, it's a nice car, don't get me wrong, um, she's a director of a big multinational company, uh, as soon as we went into lockdown, she's given this new company car, no one could go anywhere, and all the offices closed, and the company car sat in our driveway. It was straight off the production line with zero miles on the clock for like six months. 
Didn't go anywhere. Just what an almighty waste of money and resource that is. But I understand you. It's difficult to stop these processes once they're in motion. Um, and it's got the Apple CarPlay. If you've never played with that, that is a fantastic uh, bit of technology. The, um, the way that Apple syncs up with the the dashboard in the car, and I can sort of interact with it and ask it to go and play podcasts and Pete Tong from um, BBC iPlayer and stuff like that. So it's a nice car. It's a genuinely nice car. I've got no idea how much it's worth, but it's a company car, and it's zero miles on the clock and it's an Audi so I park it but what I haven't done because I'm an idiot and I'm a little bit careless is I haven't put the handbrake on and now I parked it on a flat street so that in itself shouldn't have mattered uh, and we park on the side of the street in the center of town and then we pop into the real ale pop-up pub that's in the center of town right there's hardly anyone in there they've got the real ales they've got the the barrels the casks that you stand up over um, and the sawdust floor and the pork scratchings. Do you like a pork scratching? I'm not a fan of a pork scratching. And we're all stood in there. And um, Mr. Shaven Head, early 40s, and I'm early 40s, Shaven Head, early 40s, white polo t-shirt mat. You know that guy? You know the guy with the shaven head? the white polo shirt tucked into his jeans, the belly that's going to cause him a few problems in, in a couple of years down the line. You know what I mean? That guy, right? He comes marching across the road and his cheeks are red and he's looking very angry and he's all flushed. And he um, comes into the pub. The pub's not that big, by the way. He could maybe fit... 12, 15 people in the pub, and there was only six of us in there. Me and my two buddies, and another table of people. And Mr. Polo T-shirt walks into the pub and loudly states, Whose is the Audi across the road? And I immediately didn't say anything, because the guy... Was that, this was an interesting situation. I was completely taken aback by the whole thing. I mean, normally I'd be like, but it, it, it didn't seem to be appropriate just to go, hey, hello, it's mine. Like wave my hand like I've won a prize because obviously there was something had irritated this chap um, and there was a requirement for an assessment of my personal risk before I owned up. The thing is, this area of town... There's, there's a couple of chip shops, but they were empty, and there's nothing really else around. So he guessed that the owner of the Audi ha would might be in the pub, and he guessed correctly. And I look across the road, and there's a sports car in front of the Audi. Um, a, a Porsche, I think. I mean, I'm not an expert on cars. It might have been something else, but... It, Maybe a Porsche. I mean, this is what I'm thinking at the time, looking over it. And my car, or at least my wife's company car, is touching the back of the Porsche. And in all honesty, it's not where I left it. I didn't leave it there. I left it a couple of meters back up the road. <laughs> That's where I left it. And some magical um, handbrake fairies have possibly allowed it to roll forward. Now, look... I know where I left it. 
I left it approximately two meters away from where it was currently sat, pressed up against the Porsche. So it seems, I can, it's very obvious, I've left the handbrake off, it's rolled forward and it's stopped at the back of the Porsche. And the guy's there and it's like, my mates are staring at me, they're not saying anything. They've made an assessment of the personal risk. This Mr. Polo shirt, uh, polo shirt with the vein bulging in his head is standing at the front door with his pal. Um, and he's just looking at all of us. And um, I, I realise that there's not much choice I have here. Uh, if there's some damage, I'm going to have to swap details. So I've just got to sort of suck up the guy's aggression, deal with the situation. And, just, and I put my hand up and go... All right, mate, that's mine. What, is there a problem? Knowing, incidentally, that there is a problem, but what can I do? Um, and he says, you've crashed into the back of my car. And I, I put my hands up and I go, right, okay, I haven't crashed into the back of your car. I may have, I may have left the handbrake off. If, in which case, I'm completely sorry about it. And he says, come with me, which is quite an aggressive, you know, it was literally come with me is what he wanted. So I was like, all right. Now, my mates came with me because they could see that this guy, he was uh, he was furious. He was absolutely furious. So I go straight across the road with the guy. And um, he's now standing at the back of his car where my car is pressed up against his. Now, the bumper of the Audi is just pressed up against the bumper of his Porsche. It's a little bit lower than the Audi hiding his number plate. And instead of hanging around, because that seemed a little pointless, I just got into the Audi. Uh, put it in reverse, reversed it a couple of meters, and then got out again so we could assess the damage. And I come round, and the guy is standing and shaking his head and tutting, looking at the um, the back of his car, the back of his Porsche. And I'm looking at the back of his Porsche, and I can't see anything. I mean, there's no dent, there's no indentation, there's no there's no scratch, there's no mark. And he's staring there and he's just shaking his head and he starts going, this is my pride and joy. This, this is my pride and joy. This is the love of my life. I mean, for, I'm like, oh, for God's sake, not one of these people. Really, the love of your life is a car. That's the love of your life, is it? And he's like, he's really upset. And I can't see why he's upset. And I, know, I actually don't know what to do at this point because I'm not convinced there is anything to do. There's no damage on the Audi. And I can't see any indentation, any scratch. I can't see anything on his Porsche. And so I get my camera out and say, do we need to take photographs? In a kind of a, we don't need to take photographs, but I don't know where to go from this position. And he goes, do you know what this is, mate? And I say, I'm misunderstanding. No, I didn't say that. I'm thinking that. And he goes, it's a Porsche. And he reels off a load of, numbers it's a porsche slv turbocharged valve um uh give me the model the make the history uh it tells me again it's the love of his life and i'm like okay i don't think there's any damage been done though and he stares at me because you're kidding aren't you and i'm like well i don't see any and he says these machines are finely machine are finely tuned right these machines are finely tuned he looks at my car, which is my wife's company car. It's not mine, but it's quite a nice car. He says, you probably wouldn't understand, but any movement or collision 
will take these away from the tuning mechanism that they're calibrated to be. All this bloody nonsense. I'm like, oh my God. Right, okay, whatever, whatever, right? And he says, um, the engine's in the back of the car, which it may be. I've heard about that happening sometimes, right? But in terms of physical damage, I can't see any. I've taken the photographs. And so I say, okay, well, look, I don't see any damage. If there's any damage to the engine, why don't we swap details now and the insurance companies will be able to sort it out? Not that I think in a million years that my car rolling at approximately 0.1 mile per hour into the back of his car will have done any damage to the engine that is sealed away within the chassis of this vehicle. But he's still upset. He's going on about fine-tuning um, and I could care less, but this is what insurance companies are for. If he takes it to the garage and what he's saying is true, and uh, then I'll give all my details to my insurance and they can sort out who owes what and what do you want. And I really don't care. The insurance comes through the company. Other people will sort it out. This isn't my domain. It's not my area of speciality, but I'm more than happy to share my details. I'm driving the car legally. It's all above board. So, um, um, you know, this is the way it should be. I actually hate insurance. The insurance industry is built around people that ha don't have a concept of risk. And mostly, especially the British and the Western world insurance industry has been built around taking people's money and finding loopholes from paying out. Um, now, one of the things that we do need... Um, obvious insurance for is motor insurance because these things are not clear-cut um and also accidents when you cause accidents with other people uh, you're not going to be able to pay for those mistakes so um in motor insurance car insurance is the one exception to my rule also it's illegal to drive without it but even if it wasn't i would still have it so i get um i get my driving license out and I say to the guy, do you want to take a photograph of my driving license? And shall I take a photograph of your license? And uh, we'll have swapped details. And he says, you're not having my license. And I'm like, I'm not having your license. Well, I'm a little bit hesitant to give you my license if you're not going to share your details with me. Again, I'm thinking this. I'm not saying this. The guy's getting a little bit too above his station just now. And then he, he says to me, we need to go and sort this out like men. And I'm thinking... What does that mean? Is that code for go and fight? Because I'm not good at the certain things I'm not good at. One, codes. Two, fights. Right? I'm not, I'm very, very, ask my wife if anyone says anything subtly and underhand to me where, you know, they're not saying it out loud, but they're saying it in code. I 100% won't pick it up. I would never have worked for the Enigma code breaking team. I'm not a spy. I don't get it. I need to be told things very, very, very specifically and clearly. Um, I often think I've got a sarcasm radar and I think people are being sarcastic when they're not. And the whole thing just doesn't work for me. So um, talking in code, I don't understand. And if he's saying, do you want to fight? He very well could mean, do you want to fight? I was once in a nightclub to a couple of lads having a big argument with them. And I said to them, do you want to take this outside? And the reason I said that was because I couldn't hear what it was we were arguing about inside the nightclub, right? I didn't mean, do you want to go out for a fight? I meant, can we go somewhere where we can hear each other over the music and then if we've got a disagreement, then we'll be able to, through reasoning, logic, and the beautiful art of human 
friendship and contact be able to smooth over the cracks that are have appeared in our brief relationship with each other. And we all went outside and they beat the living shit out of me because I subsequently found out that do you want to go outside means do you want to have a fight. So I don't pick up on the do you want to have a fight very well. And he says, we need to settle this like men. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to have a fight. I really, really, I really don't want to have a fight. I'm 43. I don't do fights. I don't want to have a fight. Um, and then he says, we'll go to the cash machine and you can pay me for the damage now. And I'm thinking, what the hell is now going on here? And I'm trying to put everything together. And the guy is acting really, really strange. I mean, it should be obvious that if if there's any damage, and I'm, without being a car expert, leaning on the 98% chance that there is absolutely no problem to any fine-tuning that he's talking about, but if there is any damage, we can't possibly know the degree to which there is damage at this moment in time. So how can we know how much money to take out of the cash machine, out of the ATM machine? How much does he want? 200, 300? I'm not going to stand here and give him 200 and 300 pounds of my own money because if there is one thing I hate more than fights, it's being ripped off (laughs) and I'm not going to have it. And the guy wants to take me to the cash machine. Now I'm wondering what the hell is going on. Is there a couple of, I'm starting to piece it together. This guy is driving around somehow in a machine that he cannot afford to keep maintained. So I have absolutely no idea what this guy did for a job. He didn't come across to me as the sharpest tool in the box. But then there are lots of people out there who are not particularly sharp in high paid management positions. To get up the career ladder of a lot of managerial positions, you simply have to be disagreeable. And this chap was certainly disagreeable. He had no problem about trying to attempt to show the the perceived authority that he had in this situation. Um, but I, I didn't put him down as someone who was, you know, the town I'm in in Worcester, it's not the centre of London. The average income is half that. The salary is half that that you get in London. There aren't too many highly paid positions around here. Um, I, relative to people around me in uh, in Worcestershire, the average salary and everything like that, do quite well um, with, as most professional gamblers do, you know. Um, obviously, we have ups and downs, and if you average everything over a, a year, it's not something I particularly like to, you know, show off when I'm out and about, I don't wear expensive jewellery. I've got a standard Apple Watch, um, uh, uh, pretty normal clothes. Uh, I drive around in my wife's car. The, the family car isn't particularly anything special. Uh, I do like the nice holidays and the nice meals, but you wouldn't know that if you bumped into me in the street. I'm not a particularly flashy guy. I'm always one for experiences over possessions, right? Um, but So you wouldn't know from me that I'm okay, Jack. But this guy... He gave off that uh, vibe that he wasn't particularly well off. And so if he's driving around in a Porsche that's 50,000, pounds and anything happened to it, he may be worried that he doesn't have um, the, the financial 
resources to be able to even cover the excess that might be required to fix something like that. In which case, and I don't know how he's acquired the car in the first place, perhaps he's one of these people that earns £2,000 a month and spends £1,000 a month on car repayments. They do exist. And they talk about issues in the gambling world with gamblers being out of control. Uh, there are so many other industries where they're, they're, you know, they're pushing these car loans to people that simply cannot afford them. Perhaps he was one of those. Perhaps the car was an inheritance. Perhaps he came into inheritance and bought the car. But whichever way he was doing it, there was a minor prang and he wants to go to the cash machine and take 300 quid out of the cash machine or 200 quid out of the cash machine or however much he wanted out of the cash machine. I'm not going to the cash machine. I'm just not doing it. And um, uh, I explained this to him, so I'm not going to the ATM with you. And he got in my face and told me that I am going to the ATM with him. At this point, I was very happy that my two buddies, who are both over six foot two, um, were just across the street watching how close this guy was getting his nose into my face and how heavy he was starting to breathe. Uh, and they came over and... Um, uh, um, they said, I think we all just need a little bit of a breather just now. And a breather was getting into the car and just driving off. Never swap details with the guy. Um, he took photographs of the license plate as we drove off. Left the pint behind, by the way. So that was £4.50 wasted. Um, and whether we hear anything through the insurance agency or not about the damage to the stupid fine tuning from Mr. Polo Neck's car uh, is yet to be seen. So, thinking back, I think I dropped a little line in that last segment that needs a little bit more explanation. Um, I said I was in that club, that nightclub. It was actually in Italy. No, it was in France. No, it was in North Italy. It was in North Italy. And uh, I was 22 years old. And it was a skiing resort. I was there with sort of eight of my pals, um, boys and girls. And um, somebody... I asked somebody, could you just take a photograph of me and my pal? And he says, why are you gay? And I went, ha ha, that's just, that's hilarious. What a funny joke. Really, really funny. Um, you, would you have laughed at that, Nathan? Not, not particularly, really. <laughs> it's, it was an odd thing for him to say. You know, uh, can you take a photograph of me and my pal? Why are you gay? I don't know. What would you have I, done? I... I I, I think I'd be speechless, a bit like I'm speechless now. Like, it's, well, <laughs> yeah, I was kind of speechless. You do the thing that humors the guys. Well, maybe he's making a joke, so I'll pretend to laugh. Um, and then he took a photograph of us, so that was fine. And a few minutes go by in the nightclub, right? And um, um, he says to me, can you take a photograph of me and my uncle? And guess what I said? Are you gay? Yeah, I did. Right. And he took exceptional offense to this. Really, he was really upset. And his group sort of started surrounding me and they started um, they started shouting quite loudly. Now, I've got this thing. I think I've got it from my dad. It's a slight hereditary audio uh, uh, ear problem that um, I don't know. I, I don't know how good your hearing is, but 
in nightclubs, when there's like lots of loud music on, I do struggle to hear people close up speaking to me, right? And so I said to the guys, because I didn't know what was going on anymore, I was trying to placate them. I said, do you want to go outside, was my exact words. That doesn't sound like a good idea. Well, I mean, I don't know if you were listening to the earlier part of the podcast. Have you just tuned in now to the Bashcast? Just tuned in now, yeah. So I was saying earlier, I said this to the guys from totally, from a totally innocent kind of a, I can't hear what you're saying. And we are obviously at a crossroads. We are at loggerheads. We uh, are not interacting like, a set of human beings that love each other and are just spending precious moments on this planet Earth. We are shouting and I can feel a little bit of tension in the air and I would like to sort this out and be friends and hug each other and buy each other drinks and tell each other stories about days of yore. So I said, can we please take this outside? And they were more than happy to. Uh, The man, his uncle and eight of their friends. And so we walked up the stairs to the snow-covered ski resort outside and my friend JJ, who um, is uh, a hippie that lives in Bath that likes skiing, there's a massive fan of mushrooms. He f- saw the danger and followed up the stairs. And I turned around, and when I saw eight of them around me, I suddenly was like, ah, we may have a small problem here. And I just went to say the words gents with my hands uh, uh, lifted up in a kind of peace manner. And a guy took a beer bottle and swung it at me. And my friend JJ was an absolute saint. He jumped in the way and took the bottle um, uh, to the face um, for me. And he went down. Unfortunately, as, um, you know, as credible and good as his actions were, the bottle then just went straight across my face. And I went down and the two of us got the biggest shoeing in the entire world, from this bunch of thugs, a bunch of Scottish thugs, um, uh, scunts, as a a pal of mine called them, Um, completely unnecessary. Um, And the whole thing, well, you could maybe argue that it arose from them taking taking escalation and um, not taking the joke that I'd thrown back that they'd said to me. Well, But in all honesty, the whole thing came from my complete misunderstanding of the phrase do you want to take this outside? And so I'm never, ever going to do that again. Have you ever been in a fight? No, I, I've, I've never been in a fight. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I've very rarely been in such places that are so loud that I'd want to take it outside just for a chat. Um, but no, I've ne- never been, I don't think I've ever been anywhere close to a fight. I'm, I'm much more of a kind of like nerd, yeah, um, just yeah, weasel out of things. Yeah, I mean, running away is never a bad idea. I don't think there's any, there's there's nothing shameful about running away from and weaseling out of these things. It's much better to sort of deal with things passively uh, and without bottles to the face. Um, I remember because I was 21, my mum picked me up from the airport and she looked at my face and went, what the hell has happened to you? And I was like, oh, yeah, I fell over on a red run. You don't tell your mum, do you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. No. Welcome to Bashcast, no. Nathan. Um, yeah, it's Cheltenham next week. That it is. Are you looking forward to it? To be honest, I don't, I don't do much of my own betting these days, so I, I'm probably going to let it possibly by. I'm much more interested in the cycling. Uh, that's going All right, on this okay. Week. So, What's happening in the cycling? Well, this week it's the 
it's the Paris-Nice and Tirreno-Adriatico, which are kind of two big one-week-long races um, that happen, one in Italy and one in France. Um, and then next weekend, so I guess the Saturday of Cheltenham is Milan-San Remo, which is the first monument of the season. It's a one-day race that is quite famous, quite big. Um, and I'll, I'll probably be watching it with, with some friends. Nice. I mean, sorry, nice. But is that to Nice, nice Paris, Nice? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Paris, Nice is, is from Paris to Nice. Yeah. I've been following your paper trades um, uh, on the golf with, um, uh, with a close me. eye. Sorry, I meant cycling. Sorry, I've got, I'm actually literally <laughs> trying to tune into the Players' Championship, which is delayed in the background just now. Basically, watching it, um, aren't you? <laughs> Um, it's kind of there's, you've got a definite edge, but the only issue with the cycling is the bookmakers are very sensitive to any kind of yeah, come absolutely for it, right. Yeah, it, I mean, yeah, who's betting on these apart from me and a few degenerate friends? <laughs> Not quite, no, quite. So there'll be a few people betting on Cheltenham next week uh, on the horse racing. Um, there'll be the recreational punters. There'll be a lot of um, uh, professional. Punters, some with access to um, um, trackers like the Bookie Bashing Horse Racing trackers, some with access to tipsters. Some tipsters are more sort of reliable than others. I've always been a big fan of following the Emporium guys because, look, they, they, they have a proven record and they have connections. And I think with something like football, you can maybe model it from first principles. But with horse racing, if you don't have connections, I don't understand how you can have much of an edge over and above basic mathematical modeling tricks and each way races and things like that. Um, but you've joined us on the Bashcast this morning to talk about specifically horse racing feeds, right? So um, what, where, where did we, you and me start in the world of horse racing feeds? I, well, I guess we, we started, what is it? Two, two years ago, we, we started, I started doing some, uh, Helping with some of the tools uh, at Bookie Bashing, uh, but I think was it a year ago, eighteen months ago, we we started talking about let's let's see if we can get a, a good uh, direct, um, uh, see if we can get a good uh, data feed for the horse racing, um, because uh, at the moment we're or you were um, relying just on odds checker sometimes racing post, um, and let's see if we can make it better, um, get a get a direct feed that, that gives better data because quicker, better data uh, on horse racing is, is really valuable. Yeah, so the bookie bashing horse racing tracker, before it was a tracker, I can't tell you how rudimentary it was, uh, we would um, we would um, log all the back odds at a particular minute and then post a JPEG with a, from an Excel table, which obviously goes out of date within seconds. That's the uh, date before you posted it. It's about a day before you've posted it. But the edge was so large that uh, we could still use that information. And if the odds weren't cut, get on those horses and forget about the odds that were cut and then just maybe hope that the 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 fair odds, whether we were getting those from the exchanges or coming up with our own algorithms, hadn't uh, changed too much. The issue always with the horse racing tracker was the speed at which back odds move it was always the problem and we tried to uh do this in-house at bookie bashing with our first tracker it was exceptionally difficult because of course especially close to the race if it's not fast everything's out of date nothing's relevant what's the point of it 
Uh, it has to be fast. It has to be reliable. It has to be stable. We, lo- we looked at a few options on the market for API feeds, and we couldn't see anything that looked like it was going to be appropriate for what we needed. And so that's where you came through the door, Nathan. Yeah, so yeah, we we started chatting uh, a bit of chatting with Lee about what what the technical requirements would be. Um, all of us chatting together, kind of, was what's it going to take to to make a, a horse racing feed that is what you need? And mm-hmm. at a minimum, we need to cover the bookmakers you've already got via odds checker uh, and Racing Post, and and then we need to see if we can get that uh, kind of that sort of level working really smoothly uh, and then uh, then let's see what we can do about getting other bookmakers in um getting and getting things coming through faster because if we can start reducing our latency of changing changing odds from kind of was it going to be is it going to be two two three minutes on average down to 30 seconds or even if we're what if it's a close race maybe we're getting it within one to two seconds and actually some of our data which um, are on this project now, it's coming through in kind of one to two seconds from the time it changes on a bookmaker. If you're on the if you're on the website with the bookmaker, one to two seconds for that to then come through in the API, uh, ready to be ready to be processed. I mean that's mad because often the, the the bookmaker's own website doesn't update that quickly. Like it will say that the horse is five to one in the race. You put it in the bet slipper and it'd be cut five seconds ago. The website doesn't reflect the cut until it's in the bet slip. I mean, I guess if that had happened, there would be no way for the feed to know. But that those, those few seconds is quite impressive. Um, so we've been this. So we um, essentially. You had the skills. You needed a little bit of time. That time was about 18 months. We set up a company called Odds Hawk. Um, I provided so much technical and IT uh, feedback to this company in terms of making cups of tea, um, massages for when people were stressed, you know, that kind of, you know, the, the important no, None stuff. of that made that to Scotland. <laughs> none, of, none of it made it up here. So I'm, um, I'm still waiting to receive some of that. <laughs> and um, uh, the company we formed, um, uh, is, uh, which is sort of um, 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 the first company being Bookie Bashing with a lot of the founders of Bookie Bashing and yourself, uh, the company's Odds Hawk. We've been testing this out at Bookie Bashing. We had our initial, if you like, first horse racing tracker, which in itself was very well performing. Um, uh, um, it tracked over 40,000 individual horses over 18 months. Um, uh, uh, we had a 5.2% return on investment, slightly higher return on investment when using just the BB algo, which strips away any of the exchange information on the exchanges. It was great. But again, we always knew that there were certainly issues with stability, reliancy, um, getting those back out. And so we've a few months ago, people would have noticed a second horse racing tracker went up on the site. It was horse racing OH. The OH stands for the service that provides us the um, feed, Odds Hawk. Um, and that is almost now at a maturity where um, uh, it, we are happy for this town to be the primary horse racing tracker. And we want to really fully move to a point where, you know, not just when us, because we're happy, we kind of need 
all of our community to be happy as well. We can switch off the old tracker and have this new and improved tracker, which essentially all it does is it makes the data faster and more efficient. We get a little bit more um, information from the exchanges so we can ignore errant trades, errant lays, information that, you know, a two pound here, a two pound there that isn't really pertinent to any particular price movement and shouldn't be used in analytics. And also, more importantly, the backside of the things, we're extracting the back prices for all races in all UK and Ireland um, race courses over a day. And we're getting them very quickly up to the OH tracker. And we're doing it with stability, with very little downtime. Um, every now and again, a little bug might crop up. Yesterday we had one, I think, was it William Hill odds were just disappearing um, and then coming back. But we find these and we fix them and then that's them gone forever. That's right, Nathan, right? Oh, theoretically, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we uh, we had an issue, I think, um, trying to get William Hill feed uh, sorted and they, they keep trying to block us um, because... Yeah, um, they don't like people like us. Yeah, they did. And, and it's fair enough. What We're not doing anything wrong, but they're also not doing anything wrong to try and stop us getting their data. So um, it's just one of those things that uh, if you're an odds, odds feed, you've got to deal with. We've got to deal with, um, like, Bet365 are very difficult to get their data directly from, and we've got to work on that. And um, to... It's always going to be a cat and mouse game, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think, uh, yeah, Bet365 are the biggest cat. They may be the the lion mm. or the tiger, and then um, Betfred are also And, and so they're annoying. always coming up with new ways of trying to block anything that is trying to automatically pick up the odds from those sites. And there is absolutely nothing wrong from a moral uh, or a social economical point uh, perspective on taking these odds. They are publicly available, and they're publicly available to the masses, 98% of which will be losing money to the bookmakers. And we happen to be the 2% that are trying to take uh, redress the balance and perhaps lower uh, Denise's um, annual pay packets just a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, she can take 270 million rather than 300, can't she? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I mean, it does go quite far in some boroughs of Stoke-on-Trent. So now um, we're at a point with Odds Hawk where I think we're particularly happy, especially in bookie bashing, that it's an absolutely solid um, uh, service in terms of providing an API feed. Uh, you're, I thought you would joining us today just really to highlight the fact that this feed, now that bookie bashing are at a stage where we're happy with it, it's available to all. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So... Um... Yeah, we we provide a, two different types of API. Um, one's one, I guess, one you call like a pull API, a JSON API, um, that you you request and you get a snapshot of what the data is we have currently. We also have uh, what's called a socket API, which you might think of pushing. We push the data to you. You're just kind of subscribing to the data, and we push the data to you. Um, we've got some tools to help you use the data. It's going to need a developer still to. To utilize the data, um, but like the data is there and it is there to be used to in your own betting um, or, or building an affiliate site or a, a or a, a, a bookie bashing uh, competitor. I don't know, just <laughs> whatever. Like it's mm -hmm. the data is there to be used. And uh, what if I want um, football, badminton, cycling? Um, yeah, please, please get cycling. I want the excuse for to build cycling. <laughs> uh, um, so we have, we are, 
pretty much there on on some football. Um, we're kind of doing top leagues and kind of top markets at the moment with football um, from a, from a few bookmakers, and we're we're going to expand that uh, over time. Um, if you yeah, if you want any other sports, just get in contact because um, it's it's one of those things. We're, we're not going to spend this the the server power and um, development time to to add in yeah badminton um, or cycling when no one's going to no one's going to use it no one's going to buy it so but if you if but if i you, co- but if i come and say i do want cycling you'll go away and look at it right yeah i mean it's not going to like if you want cycling we can get it very quickly um, mm-hmm. because yeah we've got the we've got the um, infrastructure there to add in all the sports that we want it's just that we we're not going to spend thousands of pounds on servers until <laughs> until someone's going to use them until someone asks for it basically so we know that people will want horse racing people will want football um uh, but the, the, the other things can be done on a ad hoc basis I know. yeah and once and once they're added they're there and they're available straight away um yeah it's just uh it's just a case of we've got to wait for demand on these things we can't just we can't build we can't uh i mean think i think uh the biggest company that does this sort of stuff is a company called TX Odds, and they do like every sport, every bookmaker. Um, and yeah, we can't just build a clone of them straight off the bat. We've we've got to wait until <laughs> until uh, people want what we what we've got. Yeah, so the API feed really is targeted towards the very very high end of the professional betting world. Um, it's available to anyone that comes along. Um, and once it, the subscription to bookie bashing is um, £89 per month. Typically, API feeds are in the range of somewhere um, high three figures or four figures um, a month. Um, so, um, um, but, you know, if you want an API feed and you're going to use an API feed, you'll already know that and what your expectations are. And they can plug directly straight into your models so that your models are uh, have live completely up to date, you know, to the to the second um, uh, back odds uh, to enable you to do the processing and the analytics that you want to. If I want to find out more about Odds Hawk, where do I go? Uh, the yeah, You email hello at oddshawk.io would probably be the best thing to do. Hello.oddshawk.io. He- hello at oddshawk.io. Hello.oddshawk.io. I oh, uh, thank you for joining us briefly on the Bashcast this morning. One more question: Who's winning the Tour de France this summer, please? Uh, unfortunately, for the third time in a row, Taddy Bogatcha. Um, Why is like, that unfortunate? Uh, because, well, because I'm I'm a fan of the British riders or the riders for um, Ineos, which is what used to be Team Sky, the British British run team. Um, I mean, he's a great rider, and he deserves, but he he deserves to win it again, and he will. I like he's at he's a monster already, and it's March, <laughs> so like, um, yeah, I don't I don't see anyone beating him. Okay, no problem. I've made a note of that. I'm going to come back to you at the end of the uh, at the end of the first stages. Uh, Nathan, thank you very yeah. much for joining us today. Yeah, cheers. Thanks, Tom. And if I now press pause.
Right, after all the nonsense, um, we should get on with talking about some betting, right? Oh, some results. Um, Saturday afternoon, just now. What time is it, in fact? It is 12.41. I've stitched together this bash cast over the best part of, like, um, um, three days. Uh, it's, uh, Brighton versus Liverpool is 11 minutes in just now, and it's on the television. So I'm watching that. There's a few things going on. I mean, it's like peak time. Um, uh, Saturday at 11.30. I thought it'd be quite good just to sort of do it at this time to give myself the challenge of how good I am at multitasking, um, doing this and getting everything set up for the site. Because the weird thing about the site is you've got to do everything for the site. You've got to manage the team. We've got quite a big team that need managing. Got to get on my own bets as well. Um, and now is the peak time of the week to do it. So I thought, why don't I just add recording the podcast into that at the same time? That'd be fun. But at least it'll give you an idea of what I'm going through. So I'm at, de- at my desk. Um, uh, um, the guys are out on the field, in the field. Sometimes we have two, sometimes three. Got two today, different areas of the country, um, which makes it sort of very, very easy to double up because... You know, if they're if they're next door to each other, it's it that gets spotted. But if they're hundreds of miles away, that um, that's sort of ideal. Um, the best way to have it would be to have like ten guys in ten different cities. But there you go. So they went out um, this morning. Um, they've been out and about in the field. Um, they're sort of waiting instructions, but of course they have access to all of the trackers as well. And there's a lot of unknowns when we go out, so it's like we don't make exact plans because prices come in, prices move. I'll give you an example. We're on Salah Double Delight Hattrick Heaven because I made him good earlier in the morning. We did it before team news. Um, What ended up happening was Liverpool started with more attacking strikers in this game or attacking players than I think the markets were giving them credit for. They're playing a very dreadful Brighton and I can see on the pitch there's Salah, there's Jota, um, there's Matip, who is the defender that gets all of the goals when um, Virgil van Dijk doesn't get the goal. There's Trent Alexander, he gets a couple. Um, Mane's up front, Diaz is up front, Fabinho gets some goals, Henderson gets goals. So there's more attacking players in this game than the markets gave it credit for. So even though there was no doubt that Salah was going to start, uh, his price drifted. And um, if I got him at 12 o'clock... If I'd looked at the markets at 12 o'clock, I wouldn't have got him. But I didn't know if I had a runner in a shop at 12 o'clock. And in all honesty, I don't care. I, I literally couldn't care less about... I could care less about drifts. You know, you, you bet on Salah because you think he's good at 9am. He then drifts. He can still score. All I, all my job is is to bet on something that I make good at a particular moment in time. I'm not going to worry too much about drifts. I mean, some things will drift. And you want to beat the closing line on average in the long run. Um, but anyway, so my guys are out in the field. We've got on various things this morning. We're doing lucky 15s on um, sort of card each halves, corner each halves, things that we find using the bet builder. It's an outrageous one of those that came in recently. Thousand to one for the fourfold and it came in. Um, we've got the virtual double because that's just like get that without blinking. I mean, in all honesty, I've said it before. They're not all plus EV, but if you just walked in the shop and blindly bet on them all, you'd be doing fine, especially with the frequency that they've been winning this year. Um, Fred's actually been pushing them as well. You'd have been you'd pretty up if you'd been just betting on virtual doubles. I've been down this year on lucky 15s. Um, I've got it open in front of me. 
I bet on three pounds, lucky 15s. A little bit of a downswing just now. Minus, it's not huge, £1,406. I mean, at £3 lucky 15s, you could have £7,000 downswings on lucky 15s, uh, drawdowns. Um, I actually looked at um, this. I did a little video because the marketing girl told me that we needed to do a video. Because we have people who go and losing runs at bookie bashing and they exit. Uh, they leave. It's natural. You always have decay in a gambling community. Um, and so we have to replace those people just to just to stay alive. I mean, again, we've never turned a profit, actually got to the end of the month with any profit in any month at Bookie Mashing. I, I like, there may have been one month, I think, when that happened. But um, so there is always the need to attract new people. And I know I've had some comments. When are you going to shut the doors? When are you going to stop getting people in? Well, if I do that, then because we've never really ever grown in size, then what happens is we just have decay and then we, we just shut it down. And then I'll just use all the tools myself in the background so it's like don't, just don't moan about it is what i'm saying there is an element of you know simply to stay afloat there is an element of requirement to attract new people that's how the business works so i put out a video it was um, betting in multiples where i actually wanted to start it not with me saying to bet in multiples but I used their quotes from both Joseph Bookdahl and Matthew Trenhale, two of, I think you might agree, the biggest names in professional gambling in the industry. I said, well, these guys are going to say two different things about multiples. I'll stitch them together and do a little fun video about a subject we all know about as we listen to the Bashcast, which is betting in multiples isn't just fun. It's mathematically optimal strategy. Right. Something that we all know, maybe other people don't know, maybe people that do a lot of trading or arbing, they don't know anything about multiples. Right. And uh, I got quite a bit of feedback, probably because I wasn't clear to enough people that I was talking about putting uh, positive expectation bets into multiples. So there's a lot of sort of people coming back saying it's the worst thing you could ever do. And if you're putting negative EV bets into multiples, they are right. So there was that subset that were just confused about the message I was saying. Then there was the subset who are absolutely adamant that all multiples were bad. And there's nobody who is worse informed but thinks they know everything than the recreational small losing punter. You know, the recreational small losing punter thinks they know absolutely everything and will argue to the back teeth that they're right. Having never read a book never read a paper. There is no such thing as an institute for accrediting professional gamblers. I recently paid my accreditation fee to a professional institute so that I can call myself a professional engineer. I haven't been a professional engineer in seven years. Maybe if they're listening to this, that, was, that, that wasn't the wisest thing to have said. But it's very useful for me to have letters after my name that I can use if I want to. And I can turn around and say to people, I'm a professional engineer. Don't take my word from it, I'm accredited through this institute. This uh, formal institute of engineers that have been around since Thomas Telford times, and they separate the wheat from the chaff. Um, uh, you, Oh my gosh, what has happened there in the football? Goodness. That was mad. That was Diaz. I'm on Diaz. He's dead. 
Well, I mean, it's difficult to celebrate that because what happens here is that Matip um, puts the ball in from um, the right back um, from just about the halfway line, clears the defenders. Diaz runs into the box, gets his head on it. He's one-on-one -on -one with the goalkeeper, gets his head on it. And the Brighton goalkeeper absolutely poleaxes him. It's got to be a red, that. The guy looks like he's dead, but he scored a goal. And I have made some money on the exchange. So I'm happy. I'm going to come to that. This is the whole point of um, this segment, is to talk about making money on the exchange. Um, but anyway, so I'm accredited by this institute. And they turn around and they review my career, my knowledge base, my training, um, my education, um, and everything like that. And they say, yes, this guy is formally trained enough to call himself a professional engineer. There's no such thing in the professional gambling world. Anyone can call themselves a professional gambler. Many people do. We, we do have the smart betting club. I've actually pushed to those guys that they should really think about angling themselves as the first accreditation institute worldwide. Um, people could put a badge up on their service, they get a certificate, but more importantly, they have to pay an annual fee because you need to be checking year after year that um, services are standing up to uh, minimum required standards, right? Um, uh, they, we need something like that in the gambling industry. We don't have it. Anyway, everyone, there's a lot of people that jumped on me. They said I was a bookie affiliate. <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh, nothing wrong with bookie affiliate. I don't care. There are people out there. Joseph Bookdow is one. He provides free data in exchange for free data the work that he's doing for free. He has some affiliate links for you to go and sign up to certain bookmakers. You're a grown person. You can choose to use them or not. He makes some money. Everyone's happy. He's got free data that I find very useful. So what's the issue with any of that, right? So there's nothing wrong with affiliates, especially affiliates that just be transparent that you're affiliates. You do get certain tipsters, Twitter tipsters. They pretend to be professional gamblers and winning tipsters. Whereas, in fact, that they are just affiliates. That's a little bit shady, and you can understand why people are naturally suspicious. And some people were suspicious of me. They said that I was a uh, affiliate. But getting, getting over that, getting over the personal, you're talking nonsense. There was three types of people. There was um, trolls, idiots, and idiot trolls. Those were the three types of people that were giving me feedback. But um, I did follow it up to try and clear it up. But also, I wanted to do a little bit of analysis. It's like, okay, we're talking about multiples. But... Which multiple is better? I mean, we're saying multiples are better. Can I prove it in the data? And what I decided I was going to do is I was going to take the data set, the real world historical data set of bookie bashing. And I was going to put uh, all the horses into real life multiples. By that I meant, I mean, you could actually have put, put them in multiples. So just horses from the same day, just horses from the same bookmaker, never two horses from the same race. So real world mu uh, multiples. And when I did that, I had 46,000 singles. I could make 10,000 doubles. I could make 6,500 multiples with three selections. That's trebles, trixies, and patents. And I could make 4,524 multiples with four selections. That's four folds, lucky 15s, and Yankees, right? And I looked at them all, and then I plotted the profit loss of one pound stakes in all of them. And I was quite happy to find the lucky 15s came out with the highest profit loss profile because that's what I do. Uh, the second was Yankees. So a Yankee is the lucky 15 without the singles, right? So just remove the singles from the lucky 15, you're doing well. The next one down was the patent. And then you've got the Trixie. And then it was trebles. And then <clears throat> singles and 
four folds were about equal, and then it was Yankees. Uh, no, it wasn't Yankees, sorry. It was doubles right down at the bottom. So that was the order of the profit-loss profile. In terms of return on investment, the best performing was trebles. And I looked at the trebles data set. They had a few win-win-wins. Now, the treble data set was uh, 6,581. They had quite a few 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 to 1 winners. Now, you wouldn't expect that many winners in that of that size in that data set. But they did have them, which is probably why they had the highest ROI. What it showed me was that the, the data set of 4,581 over six bookmakers over two and a half years still isn't big enough to really show me much. Um, it did look like the trebles had got lucky. Um, the worst performing data set was the fourfolds in terms of ROI. But look, 4,500 sample size, average odds, 1.2 million to one, right? So what... How long is it going to take before we see a win, 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 win there? We hadn't seen one yet. Um, it's marginally up because we're talking about each way betting here. So we have had a place, 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 which is the only way the fourfold can win when there hasn't been a win, 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 win. Right? Um, all that did show me really was that the data set wasn't big enough to look at fourfolds and trebles and trixies and patents and lucky 15s and Yankees and doubles yet. However, having said that, what it did show, which was mightily important, was that ROI on singles was 5%, ROI on doubles, trebles, trixies, patents, lucky 15s, and Yankees was at least four times the size of that, and four folds it was less. But, again, variant. Just wait a few tens of thousands of bets, and four folds will catch up. So I'm not particularly worried that I'm £1,700 down on lucky 15s. Uh, keep a big portfolio, as they say. Golf has been doing well. One of the things I've been doing loads on, um, half of my bets in the last month and a half have been first goal scorer on the exchange. I've been trying to beat the exchange at first goal scorer. And I have been. I am £3,891 in profit since the beginning of um, February, although the majority of that has come in the last 20 bets in the last... 10 days um, and I think it's because it's fresh on my mind um, that um, I wanted to talk about it on the Bashcast because I just wanted to go through it. I'm actually going to do, I'm actually going to, I mean I've just made some more today actually on Zhao Felix which is lovely and also that was quite a good time to go because I'm also on Liverpool to win both halves and a bunch of others. Let's go through exactly what I do. I'm now at the data lab and I'm with I'm downloading the last price match on to score. Now again we are working I've seen some very exciting screenshots of the player XG model um that is so close to the first version being available. And I think there'll be about four versions before we're really at where we want it to be. So it's always gonna be a beta tool for a long time still because when you know, when I'm doing the manual stuff, I can have manual verification of everything. It's so much harder to have this automated, right? Also, why are you giving me the back price and the lay price? I don't want the back price. That's a bug that's really annoying. So now I've got to copy last price match over there. So I've got the last price match from the exchange. I'd rather have the fair odds, but whatever. Now I am going to uh, get rid of the games that I've already kicked off. Now, why haven't I got any data? Can you explain that to me? Surely there's some data today, isn't there? There was data earlier. 
Brilliant. This is the great thing about doing this live. I've got no data to work for, so I'm just going to give everything a refresh because if you turn it off and turn it back on again. So I'm going to download all of the data for this afternoon. It's, we've already had the first goal in um, Brighton, Liverpool. Right. There we go. Now I've got some data. God knows what was happening. But I gave it a refresh and it worked. So I sort the data. And I always sort by time and then I sort by price because I'm more interested in the shorter price guys. So I always want to hear about them first. So I've got all my last price matches. Here's my model. I pre-set up in this model as well. Uh, the backs of the first goal scorers on the exchange and the DDHH prices at uh, Betfred. So now that I've got this, I know that in, in two minutes' time, which isn't going to be enough to go and have a look at it, in Levante versus Espanol, the lowest AGS price was 2.76 for Raul Thomas. Now what I've done is I've done reverse Poisson on that to get 0.45xG for the game for him. Right? For Levante versus Espanol. I've already told my model that Levante versus Espanol has an XG of 2.71, which comes from our XG database. And I've got a simple equation. Anytime goal scorer divided by match XG for first goal scorer. Fair odds. There are a few other things that are marginally fiddling with that, but that's roughly right. And therefore I get 6.02 for Raul Thomas. Now let's go over to the exchange. I've got one minute. Am I going to get there on time? Going over to Raul Thomas. Sorry, not yeah, Levante. It starts in 43 seconds. So I go and have a look. First goal scorer. Bing, bang. Boshy, washy. He is 6.8 to back. And he is 6.6 .6 fair. So I am immediately having a ton on that. Here's my ton, right? So that's nice. Now, ordinarily, if it wasn't in 43 seconds time, I'd do a little bit of due diligence. So my due diligence would be, can I find a reason why there is bias? If I can prove that there is bias on this um, particular market, then I'm happy. So in the background, I've got to be really quick because I've only got a few seconds. Can I get Espanol pre-match up on Bet365? You'd be doing loads of boosts. Espanol, Espanol. I'm, I'm, I'm too late. I think I've just missed it. I can't believe it's... Because you search for Espanol on Bet365 and it takes you to the in-play. There it is. Got it. Smashed it. And look, there we go. Raul de Thomas is 13 to 2. He's boosted to. Right? The next thing I would do is I would go over and monitor his trading price on the exchange and see what his top price is at all the bookmakers, because I want to pay, start painting a picture of what's going on. You see, I've got his XG from the anytime goal scorer price, but there's no guarantee that that is, um, that that is, is an errant trade. I've actually pulled up his top price at bookmakers. He's, he's 4.2 at BetVictor, 4.5 at Betway, 4.7 at Bet. Uh, 5.8 is top price at Unibet, and that's an outlier, and that's important that that's an outlier. So the 6.02 I make him really does actually look very good, like reasonable, compared to everything I'm looking at and um, putting together. The trading history will be a little bit difficult 
to look at because there's a boost at bet365 and he may always have had some bias from people laying him off. And that's really why I think a lot of these prices swing high. It's not the only reason um, you get uncertainty. Commonly, even without a boost, you'll see someone trade between five and six. So you're, you want to be the guy that gets six as a value better. So you want to know where it is. So I've just quickly got a ton on Ral Thomas, 6.02. I think the um, the match betters have been, I've done that, but it could have been other people. It could have been just natural swings and variance in a market. Um, I also know, using plus on, that Ral Thomas's two plus fair odds are 13.26. I know his three plus fair odds are 91.92. So I know his DDHH neutral odds because I can then work out the odds of him scoring first and getting a second and scoring first and getting a third and a little bit of mathematics and I can get the neutral odds that he is for DDHH, which I would make 5.13. So Betfred's 92, it's a good bet. If they're four to one, he's under, right? Um, so it was interesting looking at the neutral odds compared to the, the size of the odds. If the uh, um, if his first goal scorer is evens, the DDHH neutral odds is 1.6. But if it's 100 to 1, the, D the DDHH neutral odds is all the way up at like 99. It depends on a lot of things like match XG and stuff like that. But um, that's a really clean way of um, following DDHH and doing it automatically um, without looking. I have put 63... DDHH bets onto the tracker anytime I see one that's plus EV. I, I prefer doing it after team news, but I can't always be around after team news. I've got kids' dinner and our life, and there's so many team news, I can't just be doing team news. DDHH is on every single premiership game as well. Um, so I've put 63 up. I've had eight first goal scorers. One of them got uh, double delight. That was Salah. My return on investment from those 63 bets is a whopping plus 79.41%. So it's a good start. Now, I'm just going to monitor these. And then when we've got hundreds of um, data points, we can then at least do some sort of critical analysis on it. But 63 is certainly way too early. It might take a year to get those 100 data points. So back to the first goal scorers. I'm now going to have a look um, at the three PMs. Um, now, there's not a lot that's been traded. Ivan Tony is 4.5. I'm going to go over to Brentford. And uh, Brentford versus Burnley. And I'm going to have a look at... Uh, Ivan Tony. He's got a very clean £100 sitting at 5 and then nothing down to 4.5. Now, £100 exactly, that's a figure that makes me suspicious. Why is someone laying £100 exactly? They could be just thinking that that is a value lay, but most layers on rounding up to a very clean figure like 100. I'm going to suggest that the, again, my suspicion with this is that someone, for some reason, is trying to lay off exactly 100 pounds. I don't know why. But that, to me, jumps in and says that the market's biased. Um, let's have a look at Ivan Tony's spread on um, on odds checker. That's very important. The odds, you know, if I go onto the market and I see that all bookmakers have a higher price than my fair odds, then I stop and put the brakes on. I no longer am confident that I've uncovered an edge. There's more than likely something happened in my data. Right? Does that make sense? I'm looking at Ivan Tony here. 
3.9 Skybet, 4.2 Betfair, 3.75 Betfred, although they're DDH8, so don't take their price. Um, 4.2. His range is 3.8 to 4.75, but the 4.75 is at SpreadX, and SpreadX always have these mad outlier prices that I can't explain. So I am I would be happy just to ignore SpreadX every single time. So again, I'm looking at a top price from 4.5. Now often I, th I I I've done a large scale analysis of any time goal scorer um, and a lot of markets and any time any touchdown scorer. Often, 1.00 markup on the top price would be the same as what would trade on the exchange closing price i.e. the top price would be the fair price. It's also quite easy to work out because you don't have to do any mental gymnastics there. So the exchange, the sorry, the range of bookmakers top price with 1.00 markup is 4.5. Um, my fair odds, which come from the anytime goal scorer traded price, which gives me XG and the match XG is exactly 4.50. And yet again, I'm going to do it at Bet365. It doesn't have to be Bet365. It could be Fred. It could be William Hill. Thank God we've got a boost tracker to go and see if there are any boosts. If I go there, I do not see Ivan Tony boosted um, at Bet365. My next destination is I'm going to go to my Bet Tracker and I'm just going to type in the word Tony. And I don't see him boosted there. So I can't explain this through a boost. I don't know why there is bias. I don't, but because the guy is laying exactly £100, if he was laying. 7,263 or 634 or even, you know, 86 or something like that. I'd be suspicious because he's laying exactly 100 and all pointers point to this being a 5, 4.5 value bet. I'm having a bit of Tony as well. I also happen to make Tony DDHH um, because I loaded up his, um, oh, he's just... He's just under DDHH. I loaded up all the Betfred prices earlier. He's 11 to 4, 3.75. Neutral odds, 3.76. He was actually marginally good earlier. I know this because I'm on him. So that's what I'm doing. I also spit out a load of numbers for score both halves. Um, score in the first half, score in the second half. Um, percentage shots with heads, which is always a bit sketchy, but there's been some value there. In the, it, 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 that, that, there has to be a bigger margin with the to score ahead of bets than I have on other bets. And then I just go straight on to the exchange and I smash them onto the exchange. Um, in the last month, um, Raheem Sterling, 6.6 .6 for Man City. Jimenez, 9.4. Get this, Kieran Trippier, 55. He came in for Newcastle against Aston Villa, the first goal scorer. I've had Thomas Suchek, West Ham versus Wolves at 14.5. I've had um, Ollie Watkins, Aston Villa versus Southampton at 8.4. Jao Felix, um, Real Atletico Madrid versus Real Betis at 9.4. And last night, Jao Felix, um, Atletico Madrid versus Cadiz. I looked at it, 7.2 to back. I made him 6.0. I'm always taking at least 110%. That's my minimum because this is, I need a little bit of a wider margin than for other bets with first goal scorer. Um, uh, I am 3,000 up, but it doesn't really matter. 3,000 up. How much of a bet is the more important thing? And then how much have I made? And then divide the one by the other. Right? So equals sum that, sum that. The ROI is a little bit more important. And I, and as well, it's like I can't count. How, what's the count as well? 
it looks like the better part of 250 bets. Yeah, 200, 252. Because, um, of which I've only had 27 winners, which just goes to show you 1 in 10 come in, but when they're coming in at 55, it's wonderful. That plus that, and then you divide the whole thing by how much you have staked. And when you do that, my ROI is running a bit hot. Yeah, about 42%, 42% on the exchange. So that's how I'm doing it. Look, I'm not always going to uncover a value. I'm going to be on times where something else has gone on, an errant trade, um, whatever. It is difficult to win on the exchange. I don't really care. This now turns into a volume exercise for me. If one or two or three of them are wrong, right? But the majority, the majority are good value bets, then in the long run, my profit is just going to go in one way. And remember, a marginally bad bed can still bid, can, a marginally bad, bad bed, wow, that's hard to say. A marginally bad bet can still win, and a really huge positive EV bet frequently loses. And getting drawn into the humdrum of being exact and getting all your ducks in a row in this exercise, Again, I'm going to overthink it. And by overthink it, I'm going to restrict my ability to get volume down. I'd rather think about it less. I'm still doing, remember, due diligence. I'm not just blindly taking every place I make to be good. Um, but once I am satisfied enough, there's two or three indicators that the price is good. Whack it on, move on, try and get my volume up and uh, see where we are at the end of the year. So I'll keep you updated. In fact, I'm going to do a lot more about uh, betting on the exchange and the next bash cast, which will be early next week. But um, that's just an update, yeah, of where I am with the lucky 15s and with the first goal scorers. Right, I think I've got to disappear and go and get a train to London now. So whatever it is that you're betting on this weekend, make sure it's value and have a good one. This is Tom signing off.